Hey Bene, this is Rina Deepthi Annabelle, aka Mommy Imperfect, and you're listening to the Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect, your weekly dose of girl chat, real talk, and the place where I delve into different aspects of womanhood with the help of my fierce and fabulous guests. Motherhood is one part of womanhood, and it's not the be all and end all, of course. But I talk about it a lot on this podcast because I am a mom. I'm a mom of three and giving birth to and raising my three kids is one of the biggest blessings in my life. And, you know, people say, oh, they're my world. That's what how they refer to their children. And, and I, I have to agree with that. But for a lot of women, that world is often shattered before it's even had a chance to manifest. The road to motherhood is quite a difficult one. And I'm talking about this because this week is Baby Loss Awareness Week. And I must issue a trigger warning here that my guest and I are going to be talking about miscarriage and stillbirth in this episode. So please turn off now if that's something that might upset you and do check out another one of my 135 episodes instead. So I'm going to introduce (laughs) my guest for this episode now, a woman whose journey to creating her perfect family was full of heartache, unfortunately, but she's here to talk a bit about that, raise awareness. Welcome to the Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect, Jessica. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We finally sorted out our connection issues. (laughs) yeah we're finally here it's been a long road but we're here we're here ready to go thank you for bearing with me um so we we can say at this point that you are a new mom um so you you've had another baby recently absolutely adorable I got caught a glimpse (laughs) of the baby there so um congratulations thank you we are two weeks in to baby I'm going to do number two like this because we're number two baby but we are pregnant that was pregnancy number four so yeah um we are two weeks in and I think we still forget what it's like to have a newborn yeah are you doing all right with the sleepless nights and that kind of thing I think as a mum as a woman uh, we just get on with it don't we we just drink that coffee and we the decaf let's not forget if you're feeding mm-hmm. um and we just eat and we just get on with it so yeah we, we're getting there but you're right it is it is it's difficult and you do forget mm. you do forget like mm. honestly and, and it's like we get amnesia like every time you think like you just put a rosy tint on it right and yeah. and because I feel, I, I've said this before in this podcast and I think that that's how women are designed to forget the the traumas of it all and you know the difficult bits and then just remember oh it's so cuddly and nice and you know I'll be all right and oh it's so nice such a pleasure to breastfeed and all this and then um And then you're like, wow, it's hard. No one tells you. I think, I think generally in general, in pregnancy, in motherhood, no one tells you the, the hard parts of it. We see it when we first get pregnant, we see the most glorious parts. We go to scans. We're like, oh my God. And you know, we're going to have lunches when we have the baby. We're going to meet mummy friends. We're going to go to these baby classes and our babies are going to be like, you know, enhancing their development and they're going to properly get engaged and get involved. No, that's a bloody lie. You've got breast pads coming out of everywhere. You've got a sanitary towels coming out of everywhere. You've got puke all over you. You've got lunch. What's lunch? You eat cold food. And if you just about, I think binjiri is the best thing that's been made because it's cold anyway. So you can eat any time of the day as yeah. long as you've got hot drinkers with it. Yep. You feel, um, you feel like you're getting some goodness in, in that little bowl of binjiri. Yeah. You're like, you know what? At least this is going to keep me going. Honestly. Completely. 
and you can have it any time of the day and it's fine <laughs> because it's not going to go hot or cold anyway no like for people that don't know about bungee like how to best describe it because i i've i am really familiar with it I had it every time uh, you know i had a baby how would you how, what do you think the best way to describe it is so i'm gudrati so we have it in um like mitai flex so we have it like in like made basically it's been really made into a, a barfi sort of thing yeah. like shape that's how we eat it but i'm married to a punjabi so my mother-in-law obviously made punjiri that way now what we found was is you can actually buy these sort of things on amazon to enhance breastfeeding and all it is is goodness of nuts and um uh nuts and sultanas um it's got some Certain oh, spices. It's got certain spices, spices like yeah. uh, aniseed and things like that, right? And, yeah. And and sugar, um, obviously, and um, I think a little bit of ghee and something else. But it's like a power packed kind of thing. It's like a just a. It's just to give you get your strength back as a new mum, isn't it? Completely, and and also I knew that when I had when I was pregnant, um, I had it last time when I was pregnant. And my nanny was like, don't eat that. And I was like, why? It tastes so good. She was like, you can't eat it while you're pregnant because it's supposed to be a hot thing for your body. Yeah. So once you give birth, I think we all forget as well, birth, regardless of what sort of birth you have, a C-section, a natural birth, uh, you know, a suction, whatever it is, our bodies are going through a form of trauma because we are doing things to our body that is natural, but it's traumatic as well. And we are very, our bodies are very vulnerable after we've given birth. Yes. So this Binjiri just helps us to heal. It, it boosts our immune system with all the nuts and all the goodness. And it also gives us that um, warmth that our body needs when obviously we've had a lot of blood loss or whatever else it is mm. and strength. And God, don't we need that as much after having yes. these babies? Yes. Okay, so you, you, you mentioned um, a minute ago that this is your second baby, um, but it's mm -hmm. your fourth pregnancy so just just talk me through that a little bit like what happened and, and so and, we and, and in what 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 order did things kind of happen so we had a baby in um april 2018 who is our oldest one she's four years old um and everything was normal so we went through the whole journey of being a first time mom and all those things um and then i found out that i was pregnant in september the, yeah sorry end of august 2020 so during covid i did not know i was pregnant at all i always write down my periods um i was exercising a lot which is not normal for me at all and one day i went out with the girls and i was like oh, i've just been feeling really nauseous i think i've got ibs at night time and one of my friends was like you could be pregnant and i was like no don't be silly with a glass of wine in my hand can i just say and then it got me thinking and i thought oh can you be nauseous at night time? Oh, okay. We did a pregnancy test on the Friday and I did it with my best friend. And um, it came up as pregnant. And I was shocked. And I was like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. We weren't trying. There was nothing about it. And then by the Wednesday, I was, I was on near a chair and I literally was breathing like I was about to give birth. And I could not put my finger on what that pain was. I couldn't even tell you, but I could hear my pelvic grinding. And like you do, you Google it, right? Because Google doctors are amazing. They're on call 24-7. And it said you can have pelvic grinding. It's a normal thing. So I just went with it being normal. Um, I took a paracetamol and I started bleeding. 
Now, I think in general, when we think of bleeding in pregnancy, we generally think we've lost the baby straight away. It's just kind of put into our system that that's, that's what we think. I rang um, triage and they were like, come in and we'll see you. Obviously, this is COVID, so I'm going in on my own, unaware of what I'm stepping into. Um, I got in there and then they were like, we're going to do a blood test because your HCG levels are quite, they're there, they're showing pregnancy, but it's not like you're three, four weeks pregnant. You're literally just hitting that mark. I didn't have a clue what HCG was. I'm sorry, I I didn't learn that in school. I got taught about periods and contraception and maybe a bit of pregnancy. Um, and then they said, you have to come back and we'll give you a blood test and we'll check your HCG again in a week's time. And I said, that's fine. But throughout that time, I was still bleeding and I'm unaware of what what is acceptable bleeding and what is not. Now, when you when you Google these things or you go on mum forums, people go through bleeding through pregnancies. Some people don't bleed. Some people do. Everyone has different pregnancies. And I had a few friends that bled through pregnancy. So I generally thought it could be OK. Um, it got to a point where I, I was I was bleeding a bit and I called them and I said, I, I don't know how much is right and wrong. And they said, well, if you clot, then that's when you need to call us back. I put the phone down and I clotted straight away. I went straight to the hospital again on my own. Um, and when I got there, I spoke to a midwife and she said, what can we do for you? So my blood test is tomorrow, but I'm bleeding quite heavily and I just need to know, is that right or wrong? And she said, well, you're probably bleeding and losing your baby at the same time. Oh, that is... And I was like... <sighs> to hear that. Yeah, but do you know when you're at this point where you're so worried and confused, you don't take anything in. You're just like, oh, okay then. Yeah. And off I trotted and I walked out of the hospital. And I remember ringing my mum. My mum was like, what did the lady say? And then I, I caught on to what she'd said. And I was like, oh, why would someone say that? Why? Like, you know, the next day I had a blood test and I told the, the midwife there that this is what was said. And it was quite heartbreaking to hear that. Um, and she apologised and said that the midwife generally is like that, very straightforward. Anyway, we had these blood tests and the HCG was getting lower. But I heard that, you, you know, sometimes it can go up. So I had that hope that it did go up. Um, I wasn't bleeding heavily at all, but I finally got the phone call to say your HCG's dropped and you've lost the baby. But that phone call was very much, hi, we're just ringing to let you know that your HCG is dropped um, and there is no pregnancy. And I was very, like, oh, very okay. matter of fact, basically. In a, yeah. Okay. How many and weeks were very, you? How many weeks were you? At, at this point, I was six weeks. At this point, I was six weeks because it was ongoing. So they were checking my bloods every week. Um, and my heart dropped because it was just a phone call. And no, I remember no one was around me. And I just said, oh, OK. And she goes, OK, then, thank you. And I was like, sorry, um, hello. I was like, what, what happens now? And I think when I said that, the midwife kind of dropped her shield. And she was like, oh, right, OK, so you know, you have to wait for your period and that will be in the next six weeks and, you know, all these things. And then she said, I'm really sorry for your loss. And I was like, okay, thank you. And I think that's when it hit me and it really, really, really triggered me. Like my husband came home 
my daughter was only she was two and a half at the time during covid i blocked them both out i was in my room for a whole week i was crying my eyes out and i i i didn't know how to deal with it because for me it was the most amazing thing being pregnant and i didn't feel anything i didn't see anything six weeks of pregnancy i had all these hopes and dreams as soon as i saw pregnant on that test as far as I'm concerned, I think once you read that thing and it says pregnant, motherhood starts then when it says pregnant because your your mum your mum guard is up straight away. Your that motherhood is straight there, like the lioness in you is straight there, and um, it broke me to pieces. And I think the only two things that got me through was obviously my family, but also there was um, a book by Zoe. I can't remember her surname. And it had like a journal, but the baby loss guide. And I read that and I was like, wow, there's so many other people that go through worse. I had my loss in September 2020. I then found out I was pregnant again in April 2021. Um, and this time we were, you know, on guard. Like I've just lost the baby in September 2020. We're going to, you know, take things slowly, see how we go. Um, and we found out that we were due in September 2021. I was like, wow, this this can't get any better. Like, we've just, you know, September 2020, September 2021. And throughout this pregnancy, I genuinely eat something and fall asleep. I slept for seven months straight. And I was ill. At 10 weeks, I fainted in front of my three-year-old daughter and smashed my face on a set of drawers. And she had to help me. Um, and luckily, like, she was at an age where she could kind of walk and talk and understand. Um, the hospital, the, the doctor signed me off from work um, with hyperemesis, but at the point where I wasn't being sick, I was fainting and I had no energy. Um, I was checked for gestational diabetes at the beginning. I never had it with Daya, my oldest daughter. Um, so I was okay. Everything was fine. Um, but I kept going to the, to the midwife appointment saying, I've got headaches. I'm tired. I'm drinking bottles of Coke, full fat Coke. I'm eating McDonald's and KFC and Burger King. And I would sometimes eat it twice a day. I was eating cakes, biscuits, you name it. And with Daya, I ate all of that and I was fine. But I, I really craved yellow dal and olive brought with her right. and home cooked food. Uh-huh. Whereas with this pregnancy, I was craving all the things I shouldn't be eating. And the midwives were like, fine, as long as you're having a small bottle of Coke and it's one bottle of Coke. Is absolutely fine for you to have okay so I carried on it got to a point though I got to 24 weeks and I started having Braxton Hicks and I looked so big that people were questioning have you got twins in there I had scans and we me and my hubby knew that we were having a little girl um we didn't tell anyone um and the scans were fine everything was fine but we couldn't figure out why I was still feeling the way I was feeling and then on the seventh, sorry, on the end of August, I had a doctor's appointment because I'd been signed off from May up until end of August, and the doctors wanted to see me. And I begged the doctor and said to the doctor, "Can you please do a blood test? Because I think something's not right. I think I have gestational diabetes." And he said, "Yeah, that's fine." He goes, "But your symptoms are not pregnancy related." Yes, they are. I'm pregnant, and something's not right, and I could feel that. Um, I had my blood test on the 3rd of September, 2021. And on the 7th of September, I received a letter to say that there's no concerns with the blood, 
but they but I need to make a telephone appointment with the doctor, which I did. The doctors didn't have any appointments until the 23rd of September. That was still two and a half weeks later. I took the appointment because that's all I could do. I asked them if I could meet with the midwife because I was meeting the midwife on the 17th of September and if they could have my blood test. They said no because they're all on different systems, which sounds really weird because the NHS is all one and doctors can get bloods and everything they need to. I kept, I was kept in and out of hospital due to the Braxton Hicks. They got so bad to a point where they had to check me and say to have cocodamol because they were really, really painful. And I was only 25, 26 weeks at this point. At 26 weeks, I saw my midwife on the 17th of September and I said to her, I really feel big and I look like I'm having twins. And she's like, let me measure you, Jess. And she measured me and she's like, right, on Monday, I'm going to get them to give you a call and I'm going to get them to do, to book you a scan because you're just coming up a little bit small, like coming up a little bit bigger. I said, oh, okay, that's absolutely fine. Now, I think with anyone, we do really generally want to have more scans to make sure that everything's okay. Yeah. And also, see our babies, right? <laughs> two, I generally don't think two is enough. Um, it's, and it's the only time you can figure out what's going on in there because you're literally like, oh, I hope the baby's okay. And, you know, when you feel them moving, you're like, okay, at least you're yeah, moving, you're yeah. moving. Um, I've, I've been ended up in hospital loads of times because, uh, you know, I've had three kids and each time there was a period of time where I couldn't feel movements. And I went in, I was like, please just, what's happening do a scan you know yeah. let me hear the heartbeat so yes absolutely we, we, we do want those scans to figure out what's going on but I also think if you're a first-time mum you don't know these movements in general we no. don't know them and even like a second time mum third time mum um you don't like they say please check the pattern of the movements I don't know what the patterns are I just feel a kick and a movement here and there you know and and as long as you feel that baby move your heart is fine yeah that, and, and that and that's all I can say about the movements because generally in that pregnancy I felt movements and you will understand why I said that in a minute because when when I was going in at the hospitals and obviously in the midwife appointments they check the heart rate with the Dupla thing don't yes, they yeah. so you're hearing the heartbeat so you're like everything's fine because you're hearing that heartbeat but why was I that big that people generally thought I was having twins what was going on where I was that big that I was only 26 weeks, yet I looked like I was in my last trimester of my pregnancy. Is your and, is your husband really tall? Is this anything to do with it or no? No, no. Okay. I literally, with Daya, I got bigger two months before I had her. I was still wearing size eight tracksuits. People didn't even know I was pregnant. Oh, okay. With Yeah, and even after, obviously, you know, there is that baby weight and things like that, but I was never, ever big um where it was out of my body like mass if you know what I mean yeah. so getting pregnant we generally thought that it was just that I was pregnant I'd put on the weight but actually I'd put on the weight and I was I was much much bigger than what I, what I thought I should have been in that pregnancy um when I left that midwife appointment um <clears throat> I left and it was about three o'clock in the afternoon and I normally pick my daughter up at five. I don't know what happened. I had the worst migraine in the world. I came home and it was really hot outside. And I got home and I had two duvets on me and I was shaking, shaking so bad and I was sweating. And, but I was so cold. 
I had a migraine and I went to sleep and I remember my husband calling me going, Jess, why haven't you picked Day up? And I was like, oh my God, I couldn't even open my eyes. But yeah, I got in the car and I went and picked her up. When I got to the nursery, the worker came out and goes, hi, mum, you okay? And I was just like, the room was spinning. I just burst into tears and I said, something's not right. Someone needs to help me. And then they were like, sit down, sit down. And I ended up sitting there for about half an hour. And they were like, let us call your ambulance. I was like, no, 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 I'm fine got home and I had the worst neck ache ever and we were having our electrics done in our house and my husband worked like an hour and 40 minutes away from our house and um I remember where we live we live like in the country and if our wi-fi goes it means that we have no service whatsoever so we don't even have 4g in my house and the electrics went and all I had was a house phone and they at that point was only three years old and I had to show her how to try and call 111 if anything happened to mummy. But children can't sometimes get that concept of 111, like that's a really hard thing to do. So I showed her to read out and my mum's phone number was on there. And the electrics went. And all I remember is hearing my mum's voice saying, they are there, does mummy know that you're, you're ringing me? And as I've come round, I've realised that she's rang my mum saying, mummy's sleeping, mummy's sleeping. And my mum's rang my husband and said, you need to get home. Something's not right. And as he's walked in, he's seen me fainted on the sofa. And they are sitting there with my phone watching YouTube kids with seven pots of yoghurt around <laughs> She'd actually helped herself to yoghurt in the fridge. I mean, my parenting was amazing at, at that point. Do you know <laughs> what? This is what all kids would do, though, right? It's 100%. This is what all yep. kids would do. Let me get the snacks while my mom is incapacitated yeah. and, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, I will just watch YouTube happy days. But but the fact that she called your mom was, you know, that's, that is smart to actually do that on the phone and, and have that conversation or to, to let, so your mom figured out something's going on. Yeah, and I think as well, because um, I gave her my phone, because I, I knew that I wasn't feeling right, I couldn't. I couldn't parent her, to be honest, and I needed to sit down and I needed her to be right next to me. And I could still hear YouTube kids, so I knew she was right next to me. If I couldn't hear it, I knew she's wandered off somewhere. Um, but I said to her, help yourself to yoghurt, darling. Yeah, but I didn't think seven pots. I mean, bloody hell, you know. Um, but that night I went to bed and I remember my husband saying, do you want anything to eat? And I was like, no. And I literally slept through that night and I remember going to the bathroom and I felt like my head wasn't even there. It was so heavy, I couldn't even turn my head. Saturday morning, my husband rang um, triage. He rang the day assessment unit and he was like, my wife is really not well. Something's not right. And I had done four COVID tests. And at that time in 2021, COVID was still around and it was still a major thing. And because we were so anxious with the pregnancy, I wouldn't allow anyone in my house that hadn't had their COVID jab or didn't do a test before they came. Um, I did four COVID tests, all negative. Yet I couldn't taste anything. I couldn't open my eyes. The the bed covers were absolutely soaking wet, but I was freezing cold. We rang day assessment unit and they said, what's the symptom? My husband said, and they said, it's not pregnancy related. You need to call 111 or go to A&E. And my husband was like, literally something's not right. And I felt movements. I felt movements all the time. But when you're that sick, are you focusing on movements? No, you're just kind of trying to get yourself better, getting that energy back. On Sunday, 
I got worse and my husband had enough and he rang at 111 and he was like, I got told it's not pregnancy related. She's pregnant. Something's not right. She's really sick. Someone needs to do something. So they were like, we're going to get a paramedic to you. But the local paramedic was like, no, go to the day assessment unit. Just go, go to the hospital. We went to the hospital. I waited. They got me in. They laid me down. And the first thing they did was check me for preeclampsia, which obviously with age and where, where I was, I think I was, by this point, I was 27 weeks. Um, and they checked me and everything was fine. But I remember, this was the 19th of September, I remember the lady put the heart monitor thing on my stomach and she looked up at the clock and she goes, have you felt the baby kick? And I said, no, but I felt loads of movement. And she went, oh, baby's kicked. Looking back, I didn't feel that kick, but she said that she felt the baby kick and she had the baby kick. Now, I know that they have to keep it, keep the, the heart Duplin on for a minute, at least. So she was looking at the time and then she questioned that and she felt the baby kick. She goes, you're absolutely fine. She goes, you just got a virus, just take paracetamol. And I was like, oh, right, okay then, take paracetamol. Off I went home. Still can't taste no food, still got no energy. Monday comes along and I get a phone call. Um, we'd like to do you a scan. Can you come in on Thursday? No, I have a doctor's appointment. Can you come in Friday? Mm okay, I'll try, but my husband doesn't really have the day off for the scan. Can we do it next week? No, 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 no. We can only do it this week. Just book it in. And then if you want to change it, you can. Yep, that's fine. We'll book it in for Friday. I then get a phone call on the next day, Tuesday. I'm still sick in bed from whatever this virus is that I've got. I get a phone call from the midwife that I saw on the Friday. And she's like, Jess, I found your doctor's blood test results. You have gestational diabetes. Your bloods are supposed to be 35 in pregnancy and your bloods are coming up as 53. And this is why you are sick. I need you to come in within the hour and meet the diabetic midwife. This is four o'clock in the afternoon. The diabetic midwife was at the hospital, the local hospital, and they were closing with it by six o'clock. I rushed down there. I've met this diabetic midwife who's found my results. She searched my results and found them and gave them to my midwife. And she was like, right, here you go. Here's all your blood test stuff. This is how you prick your fingers four times a day. I was like, whoa, this isn't my life. What is this? I eat, I eat sugary stuff like it's water. It's so bad. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for a dessert. This isn't my life. I eat whatever the hell I want. You know, I don't, I don't, I've never been the sort of person to watch what I eat. So I struggled to understand like what gestational diabetes was. And I said, oh, by the way, I had a scan on Friday. She's like, that's really good. And I said, but I'm going to change it because husband can't make it. No, no, don't do that. She goes, because on Friday we have the diabetic clinic so you can meet the consultant as well. Okay, fine. She goes, so keep that, um, keep that appointment. She's like, and then you can meet the consultant and we can talk about your diabetes. Okay, let's do that. Thursday comes along and one of my friends rings me and she said, Jess, I haven't seen you. I'm going to take you to your hospital appointment on Friday. I'll wait outside, outside. It's not a problem. And I was like, no, 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 no. That's fine. I can go myself. She's like, no, I'm going to do a COVID test. We're going to go out for lunch after. You have not seen anyone since July and you need some time with a friend. Fine. She drove for an hour to get to me. Thursday came along. I had a phone call with my doctor who then clarified I have gestational diabetes. I was like, well, we know that anyway. I don't understand why you said 
that is not important because the phone call is very important, but you're three weeks late now. I already know this. Friday comes along and my friend picks me up. The appointment is at 10 o'clock in the morning. And she said to me, Jess, I'll just drop you outside. I won't come in the scan. I was like, no, no, you should come in. You know, you're, you're a master to my child. You know, I want you to come in. I thank God every single day that I allowed her to come with me. I walked into that scan. She was, say, on this side of me. The TV was up. And it's really weird because I don't know if this is the same for you. But when you had your scan, they normally have the TV off until they find the baby. And then they put the TV on so you can see. Did you have that? Uh, I I can't remember. I can't, I can't remember, actually. Okay. So at this hospital, they, they basically have the TV in front of you. And then they, they turn it off. They find the baby and then they put it on so you can see the baby right. in front of you mm-hmm. instead of looking at the computer. But this time, the TV was on. So I'm talking away. And my friend's turned around and gone, oh, hello, baby. And I've looked up and he's like scanning the top of the head and stuff. And I've, I've turned to him and said, oh, you know that this baby is really energetic. I said, you know, because last time it took you ages just to get measurements. And he laughed and he goes, oh, yeah, I remember you and your husband arguing over finding out the gender. And I said, yeah, I said, well, you know that this baby's energetic, so you might not be able to find the things that you need to find. And he's still looking away. Anyway, we've decided to talk about where we're going for lunch. And literally as we're talking, he goes, I'm really sorry, but there's no heartbeat. Your baby's died. Oh, my God. Uh, and you had no idea of this? You you didn't no. think I can't feel the baby, anything like that? No. Like I said to you, it's really important that I emphasise the fact that I felt the movements of the baby. I literally was talking when he said that. I turned around and looked at him and said, sorry? And he said, I'm really sorry. There's no heartbeat. Your baby's died. And I just, all I remember was screaming. I screamed. And I screamed with tears because what the hell? This has happened again? Yes, it was a different, completely different loss. But it's happened again. And the first thing that came into my head is, what am I going to say to my husband? I've let him down. And I remember I was laying on the on the bed and I even remember what clothes I had on because me and my friend were talking about my top. And I remember having my hands on my stomach straight away. You know that initial reaction? You, I mean, you never. no one knows what they're going to go through and how they're going to react until you go through it, right? I remember putting my hands on my stomach and screaming and my friend standing in front of me like that and she's looking at the computer screen where the sonographer is and she's holding my hand on top of my stomach she's like check again check again but all I could see was her mouth moving and I could hear noise but I couldn't hear what people were saying and I saw a rush of midwives just running and I look up and I just see this baby laying there and there was no movement at all let alone I could see a heartbeat. She just laid there. And I looked up and I, and it was like a film, you know, like distorted noise around you, but people were moving it. And within seconds, I wiped my stomach clean and I was put into another room. And I met a bereavement midwife. What the hell is a bereavement midwife? No one tells you about bereavement midwives when you're pregnant. <laughs> what is that? And I met this bereavement midwife and there was another midwife there with me. 
and someone knocks on the door and it's the diabetic midwife the one that said to me to have the scan so we can meet and she's like hi as soon as she's walked in the midwife that was there just rugby tackled her out the door and I'm just sitting there and the bereavement midwife said um so would you like us to go through what will happen and I was like no I was like I know what's going to happen and my friend looked at me she said what do you mean you know what's going to happen I said I know what's going to happen I said but I need to call my husband first I can't do this without my without my husband here he needs to know what's going on and my friend rang him because we're all good friends and she rang him and um she was like Gabba you you need to get here now we're in Chelmsford and he was working in Enfield which is like an hour and something away and then he was like why what's happened straight away he was like why what's happened and she said oh um nothing you just need to get here because Jess needs you to see one of the consultants he's like I'm on my way and he left work and I looked at her and then she's like, Jess, do you understand what's happened? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And just how I'm talking to you is how exactly how I was talking. I knew what had happened. I knew what was going to happen because one of my friends went through exactly the same thing that I went through a couple of months beforehand. And she had a son the same time as I had Daya. And we got pregnant at the same time again. And she went through it. And I knew what was about to happen. And um, I remember Gabba calling and he's gone, what's happened, what's happened? And I was like, oh, nothing, we need to see the diabetic consultant. They want to see you as well. That's why That's why we've called you. And he's gone, okay, I'm on my way, I'm on my way. I said, okay, I'll wait for you, don't worry, take time. I put the phone down and I remember the midwife saying to me, oh my God, you're so calm on the phone. I was like, yeah, because I don't need my husband to get into a car accident because he's rushing to get here, if I told him the truth. I said, I need my husband to be 100% to understand what's just happened. And she was like, oh, okay. And I was like, right, I'm going down to get a coffee and a big fat chocolate muffin. And she was like, oh, but you've got gestational diabetes. I said, it doesn't really matter now, does it? We got put in another room. And I remember my husband walking in, I remember his face and he looked at me and he went, what's happened? And as soon as he walked in, everyone left the room and I told him what had happened. And then the midwife walked in and she said, right, um, would you like to know the process? And we said, yeah. And the midwife was like, right, what's going to happen is tomorrow you will come in. We will take seven bottles of blood from you. We'll get, we'll give you a hormone pill and that will stop your hormones. And then we will give you, and then you'll have 48 hours and then you'll come in and we'll induce you for labor. And I was like, right. I was like, I want all the pain relief. I said, why can't I have a C-section? And she said, grieving process is better for you to have a natural birth. I was like, I don't want that. I just want a C-section. And she said, we won't do that. She goes, if you are medically okay to give birth, then we will induce you. Why like, Why fine. did you, why were you feeling like that? Like, I just want a C-section instead of um, giving birth? I think there's two things. I think one of them, I put my guard up because I didn't know how I was going to react. I didn't, I probably felt like I didn't want to go through that process. I just wanted it done quickly. Was it kind of, you were like, just give me some drugs, get it out and yeah, that's it. Because obviously when you imagine giving birth, oh, you're giving birth to your baby, you obviously imagine it to be like, oh, the baby cries and give me the baby at the end of yeah. it, right? Yeah. But I don't, I don't think, and like, like I said, at that time, if you see me, I was talking exactly like this. You didn't see anything different. 
You didn't see me crying, screaming. You didn't see anything different. You, I walked out the hospital like, okay, yep. Yeah. I knew what was going on. Were you in fight or flight mode? You know, like how it's like, I'll either break down and literally crumble or I'm just like, that's it, what needs to be done? It needs to be done. It needs to be done. I'm a mum and I have a three-year-old at home that I have to break this news to. I have family that I've got to break this news to. I have to think about all these people around me. And even though, like, even going back, and, and we still, we're still having therapy now with this as well, me and my husband, which is another thing that we'll speak about. But um, I, I, was, I was always worried about how this was going to impact on other people more than it was on me. Why? Because this is not just me that goes through it. Yes, physically I go through it, but it's everyone around me that goes through it as well. And I think we really lose that. We really lose that concept of of understanding. And, and I, I felt yeah. the. I think sorry. I think it's a very like South Asian woman thing as well to like. Oh my god! Let me think of everybody's feelings that you're the one who actually has been told your baby is inside you and it's not alive anymore you're going to give birth to a baby that is not alive and you're thinking about everybody else. How do I break the news? Oh, they're going to feel bad because they're having a baby. You know, my parents. And, and, it, and you know, I would have been the same because you do think, but now my, you know, everyone's going to be really upset. How do I tell them? You know, I, I would, yes, I, I, I can relate to that. You know, you do I think also about think, it. I also think that it didn't, it didn't, um, I didn't get it. I didn't get that my baby wasn't alive. Does that make sense? Okay. I didn't, it didn't register. I knew it, but it didn't register. It didn't mm, so, mm. soak in. Because I went into that mode of, I've got to do these things now. Right, okay. so I'm going to have the hormone pill. Right, I'm going to give birth. Yep, I've got to get do this. And I remember my friend sitting there and she said, Jess, do you mind if I ask questions? And I said, no, that's fine. And she said, she asked them, what will they need for the birth? What will they need to bring in? Is there anything that they'll need? And she got all of that information for me, which she was able to pass on to my mum. And then my mum was able to get me ready for what I needed to do. And I remember as well saying to the midwife, can I still get, can I still pack a hospital bag? Can I still get an outfit? This woman probably looked at me like, are you crazy? Do you understand what's happened? And I said, I don't understand why you're saying to me that my baby's died. Because look, the baby's moving. Look, as I've looked down, my stomach is moving. Why are you telling me my baby's not, my baby's died? No, my baby's moving. You can see it. And the bereavement midwife turned around and said, no, what you've been feeling is the water moving your baby around. So all those movements that I had been feeling from that Sunday when I went into hospital because I had that virus, when the midwife said, have you felt the baby kick? Up until the Friday, the movements that I was feeling were not movements. It was the fluid inside my stomach moving the baby around. My baby died the next day after I was in hospital because they realized that from the amount of fluid that was in her stomach. So after that midwife had asked me, have you felt the baby kick? That little bit of a kick that she felt did that. And she passed on the Monday. So that's why I said movement is such a big emphasis in this story because I felt movement and as a mum that is one of my biggest mum guilt I'll ever have in my life because that wasn't movement but in my mind that was movement you could fully see her moving but it wasn't a kick and a kick is really important than that movement and I remember leaving 
the hospital. And my husband held my hand and saying, are you okay? So yeah, I'm fine. Are you okay? Yeah. Right, what's going to happen now? And this is where you start setting yourself in. What's going to happen now? We've left the hospital. That bubble in that hospital now needs to come out and we now need to focus on what we're doing this weekend. What's going to happen this weekend? We left the hospital and it was three o'clock. I walked in that hospital at quarter past nine. I left my friend. She went home and me and my husband was on our way to pick that up from the nursery. And we got into nursery and he had to tell the nursery what had happened and say to them that on Monday we'll drop Daya, but we will unfortunately be going to the hospital. So she will have grandparents picking her up throughout the week. And they were absolutely fine, absolutely fine. Obviously, they were heartbroken. And straight away, because we live in a village, we're quite close-knit. Um, I got text messages from most of the teachers straight away saying they're sorry. Again, oh, it's fine. Thank you for your condolences. What, what, what? I don't know. It's still not registering. This is not, nothing's registering at this point. I know what's going on, but it's not registering. So you went in, like, yeah. you know, and then, and you, you obviously went through the birth process then. Yeah, so I, I told, I told obviously my mum and my mum read the paperwork because the paperwork um, tells you what, what's going to happen. On the paperwork, it stated like what the hormone tablet will be. And with the hormone tablet, it's, um, it can trigger things if you've, if you've like got asthma and stuff like that. And I have asthma, so we had to read it through all of it as well. And my mum also said, when you go back tomorrow, ask them for another scan, which we, we, were, we were entitled to. Um, so the next day we went to the hospital and we got taken into this room called the Blossom Suite. This room had a double bed, it had a kitchen, it had its ensuite, it had a TV. I just walked in, I didn't know any different. I didn't know what this room was. I just thought, oh, they've given me a room. Nothing of it. And I remember the consultants coming in and the bereavement midwife and she was like, right, um, so this is going to be the hormone pill, blah, blah, blah. Um, it will turn your hormones off and then we'll wait 48 hours. You might get slight little period pains, nothing to worry about. Okay, fine. And I remember my husband saying, can we have another scan? And they bought this little um, computer in and literally they laid, I laid down on the bed and they did another scan and I didn't bother to even look at the computer. And my husband looked and, he was, and then they clarified it. But I think it was more for him than it was for me to clarify that because I think it it's such a big thing for them as well and I think we forget that and um anyway had the hormone pill went in on Monday I yeah I did the thing I did the thing of going to Matalan and buying an outfit and I stood in the baby department and I remember my husband saying I can't do it and I was like well I'm gonna do it and I want to get her an outfit I want to make sure that I've got my the hospital bag I'm going to make sure that she's got an outfit with mittens and a hat and a blanket because she needs a blanket um and when Daya was born we had a cellular blanket that had our surname put on there for when we had her and we bought her home in that and I said that my next child will have that and be brought home in it as well um and we knew that wasn't going to happen so I text a friend and I said to her would you do you mind doing me a blanket with her name on it and she was like, of course. And we found this white blanket 
with rabbits on it. And I thought, well, she doesn't need a bloody cellular blanket, so a normal fleecy blanket will do. And I know that sounds really terrible, but that's where my mind was. And again, I was shopping for my baby that was in my stomach. And there was a woman next to me and she's like buying all these baby clothes. She's like, oh my God, I can't wait. Tomorrow I'm going to have a C-section. My baby's going to be here. And I could hear this. And I just stood there and I was like, oh, which one do I get? I don't even know her size, nothing. And I start looking through these girls' clothes and, and I find something that says um, love is a superpower. And I was like, perfect. That's what I want. Perfect. And I've got a tiny baby one. Don't know the size. I'll just get that. And then I remember another girl coming over. She's got a newborn and she's buying newborn clothes. And that kind of, I just looked. And she said, like, oh, when are you due? And I was like, in two days. And she said, like, oh, congratulations. I was like, thank you. And I walked off. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. But again, reality didn't hit me. Reality didn't hit me. I was just having a conversation. But I felt a lump in my throat. And I bought this outfit. I bought the hat with it. I I literally did everything that you would do going into hospital like normal. Sounds crazy, right? Sounds absolutely crazy. Did you, I don't know how it works and obviously you can tell me how much you want to tell me, but yeah. do do you, at that, when a baby is what, what was the baby, 27 weeks, 27 weeks? Sorry, no, she, so I how? gave birth to her at 28 weeks. Right. And at that point, yeah. like, do babies look like babies? Like, could you put her in yeah. the clothes? Yeah. So she was developed. She was developed. She was fully developed. It's just her skin wasn't as much. Um, but the rest of her was developed. She had everything. Everything. And did you get to put her in the clothes and with the blanket and everything? Yeah. So what happened was when I went into the induced on the Monday, again, you go in there, you don't really know what's happening. They just put this tablet in you and, and the induction starts. Um, my induction started at four o'clock. Throughout the night, I was, I think, to be honest, it happened very quickly. By 12 o'clock, by 12, 1 o'clock, my, um, my water started breaking. And I, and I know it sounds really stupid, but I was there watching Gogglebox while I was in labour. And I just thought, I need to do this and I need to do it properly. And I was like, can I have a water birth? And they're like, yeah, you can have whatever you want. And the reason why, and I know it sounds silly, and, and to, to the viewers, it might be like, what is wrong with this girl? But I knew that I was about to have to give birth. And within that, regardless of, of ha what the outcome is, them labor pains are still there. <laughs> you're still giving birth. So you're going to start thinking about those things, especially if you've never, if you've done it before. So I was like, I'm going to try and reduce as much pain as I physically can, because emotionally, I'm about to go on a massive roller coaster of pain. So I want to stop any physical pain that I can. But by the time my waters broke, there weren't no time for me to get into that water, water because I was like, no, and I didn't even have no paracetamol. I was just like, I'm doing this. And I remember looking in the mirror and going, I can do this. I can give birth. And I said to the baby, I said, me and you can do this together. And we're going to, we're going to, I'm going to bring you into this world quietly. And as soon as I said that, I sat on the toilet and my husband was really detached from the labour. Like, I think he really fully was on that emotional roller coaster where I wasn't fully there yet. And he just kept going, are you OK? And I said, like, do you know what? Just just, just please leave me alone because I'm trying to focus and you're just in my ear. And he left the room. And as soon as he left the room, my water's broke in the toilet. As I got up, she was there. 
she was there. And I remember I'm on the toilet as she I've was, got to get where, up. Like on the toilet? Yeah. I, I, my, like I sat down, I was like, I need to go, I need to go for a wee. And the middle, I was like, okay. And she's sitting in front of me. I'm on the toilet. And all of a sudden, my water's broken the toilet. As I've got up, I was like, oh, my God, something's happening. And literally, she's like, breathe, Jess. And as I've breathed, I took a deep breath in. I pushed, and she was there. And literally, the midwife's hit in front of me like this. She's holding onto my hand, and I'm, like, bent over like this, coming off the toilet, and she's grabbed the baby from the back. And as I've looked down, all I saw was her little foot hanging from the lady's hand. And I just remember, like, looking down, seeing her little foot. And my phone was right there, and I rang my husband. I was like, Gab, I'll get here now. She's here. And he ran in. And as he ran in, he just burst into tears. And I was like, stop crying, stop crying. Just just come on, like, let me just get this placenta out. And then, you know, we can see her properly. At this point, I'd already spoken to a midwife that had gone through a stillbirth as well. And the first question I asked her, and I said to her, I'm really, you're probably going to be like, what the hell, why are you asking this question? I was like, what do they look like? Because that is a scary thing to think about as well. And she said to me, her son looked looked normal, had skin, you know, had everything. And I was like, oh, okay. So I kind of knew what I was going to see. I knew what was going to happen. Um, and he cut, I cut the cord, my husband cut the cord, and they took her. And I was like, right, let me get this placenta out. Well, two and a half hours later, the consultant's pulling at me to get this placenta out. This placenta's not coming out. And I've got to a point where my husband's taken her and has dressed her. She's so small that the clothes that we got her did not fit. Luckily, this this suite that we were in, they had a massive room. And in that room had loads of donated clothes, everything you needed, everything and anything you needed for a baby, from a Moses basket to a pram to anything, to making memories, to for but also to, for things for you and your husband while you're in this suite was in this room. And he the bereavement midwife went in the in the drawer and she was like look here's some clothes pick what you want and I remember he said he picked a vest and it had two love hearts on it I couldn't tell you what baby grow she had on but I gave birth to her at 4 50 in the morning on Tuesday the 28th of September 2021 I did not see her until two o'clock in the afternoon Tuesday the 28th of September 2021 I never held her my biggest regret in life I didn't hold her because I didn't think to hold her it wasn't a thing it was just get this placenta out and then I'll I'll see her and um we they got the placenta out I went for a shower um and I had to have a spinal so for me to have a spinal they had to wait until the medication had come off so then I could walk um and she was in a room and I remember when they were trying to take the placenta out I was on a hospital bed you had the consultant the doctors you had my husband next to me here he was holding my hand and I was like screaming because they were like pulling the placenta out and all I remember is he's holding my hand but he's looking at that room where his baby was lying and that for me was the epitome of a husband and a father in between his wife and his daughter 
and he doesn't even know what to do. And all I remember is just apologizing to him because I felt it was my fault. And I, and, and, and regardless of what anyone says, and I, and I know it wasn't my fault, but deep down that mum guilt is there because it is my job as a mother to protect this child while they're in my stomach. And I wasn't able to do that, even though I didn't know what, what was going on in my body. Um, anyway, I, um, I met her at two o'clock in the afternoon and they brought her out in this cot, like a normal cot, you know, like you get, um, it's like a little cupboard, isn't it? And then you get the, the see-through cot. But this had a plug attached to it. What the hell was the plug for? I didn't know. And, um, yeah, she, she had, she, obviously she was asleep. She had a little woolly hat on and she was wrapped in a blanket with her name embroidered on it. And we had put, um, my husband did a gender reveal when I had Daya. And we had the Peter Rabbit, um, Flopsy Rabbit, and we put that with with her in her cot. Um, and they did her a little picture, and we put that in there as well. And they gave her that that Flopsy Rabbit, and we put it in there. And um, I just spoke to her, and I put on Daya's Bollywood Spotify list, and I played Hanuman Jalisa to her, and we played Jabti Sahib to her, and we did everything that we would have done if everything was normal. And I mean, it's not the right thing to have done, but in our eyes, that was the right thing to do. Um, we told her about her family. We spent time with her overnight. And I kept saying to Gapa, what is that noise? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, why is there a plug? And he's like, Jess, it's a cold cot. What, what the hell is a cold cot? And he goes, it's to preserve her. She had a piece of meat. And he was like, you know, Jess, you have to understand that she's, she's not alive. Again, still didn't register to me. But because she was in her cot, I didn't want to touch her. And I didn't want anyone else to touch her, apart from the midwife. Because she was so small and fragile that I thought if, if anyone touched her, she's going to break. Um, the midwives came, they took her handprint and footprint, which we have. Um, and then we asked our family to come and see her. So my mum and my dad and my mother-in-law. And they saw her. Um, and the next day, they we asked for her to be taken um because it was bad to keep her in 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 the environment that she was in um because she did she did need to be somewhere cold you know and and it wasn't there um and you can't preserve her in that quite as long and you know everything was normal in my eyes um and uh Basically, in the morning at 7.30, we asked the midwife who delivered her to come and take her. And all I remember was, I think, the hardest, hardest, hardest part. That and the ashes were the, the two hardest parts, I could tell you, when I broke down. And it was when she said, OK, we're going to take her. And I was like, OK, you know, we'll see you soon, you know, and said so bye to her. and they put a lid on her and the lid was like the top of the drawer it was a wooden lid on top and they were like we're going to take her now and I was like okay and just to see her go was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever had to do in my life because for me you know, like I said, I didn't break down before that. 
but the epitome of her them taking her physically and putting that lid on for me and my husband it was she left in the dark on her own and as parents we went there to protect her and you know no child wants to be in the dark on their own not even now my four-year-old would be like mommy come in the room you know um so for us that was the part that we were like she's on her own and it was really hard for me to to leave my house because I was because I didn't want to go back to London where we lived with or to my mum's house and feel like that because it was too far from the hospital I'm already 40 minutes away but there was no difference I'm I'm not going back um Anyway, we left the hospital. And I remember when we went to the hospital, it was raining. The day I left the hospital, I left with a memory box. And I left with a memory box and the sun was shining. And for me, that's a really positive thing. The sun was shining. It means she was at peace. And I know, you know, her spirit, she physically had gone but her spirit was there like you know and the spirit was about to go and make that journey and you know we I remember ringing my nan and my nan said to me you know because as as adults we kind of know what to do when it comes to a funeral of an adult we know how things are going to go they have had a life so we incorporate their life into their funeral what do you do for a baby did you, ha- you did do? you have a funeral for her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did, we did. Um, my my nanny was like, "You're supposed to bury her," but we don't bury. So, all I know is that you cremate, and obviously, my husband's side, all they know is to cremate as well. But actually, you're supposed to put the baby back into the earth. Hence, you're supposed to bury them. And for us, that didn't sit right. And we spoke to our parents, and our parents said. You guys do what you think is right, what your hearts are feeling right. This is your decision. No one can tell you what to do in this process. Um, And uh, we left and and my nanny was like, one thing you do need to do is make sure that she's got a white shawl. Um, Because when when someone passed, she put a white shawl on them, which was really weird because the blanket we bought her with her name on it was white. So we left her with that. And my dad put a rose in there and, and, and everyone like so my my mother-in-law and my mum and dad they all had a little wooden heart which was from the room there was a room there and um they got two wooden hearts and they wrote on the wooden heart a little message from them to her and we put that in her cot and same from like my brother and his wife and my my, my brother-in-laws and, and their wives and then they kept the other heart for themselves um and uh, then we we left and we got told about the process of what was about to happen. So you guys will do a funeral. Um, but we also got told that we have to register her. So you still have to go through that registering process, registering her name. Uh, like a birth certificate? A birth yeah. certificate? Okay. Yeah. So it's it's a still it's actually a still birth certificate. You get it's it's um a birth certificate and a death certificate together as a stillbirth um so you still have to go through that process um but luckily um, i was able to do it on the phone and the registrar was very very understanding um but 
the bereavement midwife had said that they can't release her body until I had done that registration. And as it was coming towards Diwali, we really wanted to get the funeral done before Diwali. And we also didn't want her in that hospital for that long because, again, she was on her own and we just wanted her to be at peace. And, and for us, it was, we wanted her to be at peace at, at that point before Diwali. Um, so um, we were unaware of how things work. We don't, are we supposed to get funeral directors? How does it work? But actually, um, the funeral directors contacted us, which is the local ones uh, with the hospital. Um, and then they were like, we're going to go and pick her up. And I was like, yep, that's fine. Um, they did that. And then we booked her funeral in for the 25th, 25th of October. Um, and we, me and my husband, were the only ones that went to the funeral. We felt that it was something that we needed to do because it was just us that were there. We needed that time. We didn't have a clue what we were doing. Um, we both wore purple because that we felt represented her color. We don't know what that was, but we just did that. And um, on the day they they bought her, and obviously, as you can imagine, her coffin was very small. We both walked her in. And you know, like culturally, women don't carry the coffin when someone passes, but me and my husband walked together and we, we, we held her together and we walked in. And um, I remember I did, I did Om Namah Shivai and I remember that my husband did Odas and I remember just sitting there, we just sat there for a bit and all I could do was just say sorry to her. Um, and one of my friends, bless her, she sent funeral flowers. And um, I remember explaining it to Daya what had happened coming back from the hospital. She said, Mommy, where's your tummy gone? From a huge tummy to nothing. And at the hospital, they give you um, a tablet after you've given birth as well to stop your breast milk and to stop any postpartum um, things that you go through. Um, and she said, Mommy, where's your tummy gone? And I looked at my husband and I was like, what, what do we say? And Sand's charity state that you should explain death to the children. You should explain the baby's died. How do you explain that to a three-year-old? What do you say? Your baby sister died. But then you have to explain what death is. Then you have to explain what birth is. And that was, and I think that's very, very overwhelming because as parents, we're trying to protect our emotions so we're not reflecting that on her while we're telling her what's happened. So we sat there That's and we said, lot. oh, it's a know, lot, mom, yeah. it is. And I think, and I think you have to protect yourself, but you also have to protect this innocent child that has no idea because she's never met her sister. But what she did see was the process of mummy having her in a tummy, seeing all these movements, the kicks and whatever. And then boom, there's no, there's no baby. There's no bump. All there is is this box that she sees. And um, uh, we we sat down and we said, they, you know that mummy went to the hospital because, you know, mummy wasn't feeling well and, and she gave birth to your sister and, you know, she wasn't very well. So we had to leave her at the hospital with the doctors. But we, what we didn't want to do also was reflect that the doctors had done something wrong to hurt her sister and to make them out as bad guys because you've got to remember these kids like she's three years old we don't want her to get scared of doctors so we were like you know 
she wasn't very well. So we've kept her at the hospital so they can look after her. And she's like, oh, okay. And I said, um, but you know, they, she's gone She's gone to JJ in the sky. So we explained to her that she's gone to Guru Nanak Dev Ji and she's gone to God, you know, um, and my father-in-law passed away way before we had Baya. And we said, you know, she's gone to Dadaji. You know, Dadaji's looking after her. And she was like, is she like a star in the sky? And we're like, yep, she's a star in the sky. She narrated that 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 whole thing herself. And she was like, she's a star in the sky, mommy. And we're like, she's the brightest star in the sky, darling. Until this day, they will go outside and be like, look, there she is. So yeah, so that, that was that was the funeral. And then we had her home for Diwali, which I know is, a, is again, not a cultural thing. You shouldn't really have the ashes or anything from the funeral at home but you know I picked the I picked the ashes up um, and I remember my mother-in-law saying to me we went together and I walked in and I said hi I'm here to pick up my daughter's ashes and I remember my mother-in-law saying it was the most heartbreaking thing to hear you say that but to me it was normal normal it, it was nothing different no, there was no heartbreak in that I was there I picked up her ashes I didn't know what to expect um just a box like a little gift bag if you could call it a gift bag I brought her home I put her in the living room we didn't do much for Diwali um but you know as much as we could for there um and then came the day that we had to spread her ashes and you know it was really hard really really bloody hard to think that we're going to go through this process what do we do we don't know what we're doing um so we we did it in the November and obviously we invited both sides of the family and my friend that was with me on the day of the scan we asked her and her husband and her daughter who's my daughter's best friend um to come and we asked them if they would look after Daya for us while we went to do the ashes and afterwards we were going to go for dinner um to celebrate um to celebrate her you know um and uh they said absolutely they were more than happy to come come along and um we went to the local marina where i used to go for a walk when i was awake um and i just remembered my husband saying something and saying like thank you to people for coming and whatever and i just remember looking down and, and putting these ashes in the water and i i, I honestly I honestly, hand on heart, was about to jump into that water. No parent should ever, ever, ever have to bury their child. And no parent should ever, ever, ever have to spread the ashes of their child. Because all they were were ashes. And I just remember wanting to jump into that water. And I was this close to jumping into that water. And I remember just turning around and saying, what have I done? And saying to my mum, I let her down. It's just breaking down at that point. And my mum was saying, it wasn't your fault. And I was like, it was. It was my fault. And it will always be my fault. Because it was my job to look after her. It wasn't anyone else's job. Um, how How did you... How did you start to heal from that? You know, that's like a really strong and awful thing to feel. Like, 
at, at what point and how long did it take you and how did you overcome that feeling? You never overcome that feeling because that mum guilt is there. And I think like, you know, as you know, you've, you've got children yourself. When you're, example, you send your children to school and they forget their PE kit, you've got mum guilt, <laughs> you know, if they, if, if they do something, you've got mum guilt. You know, if you shout at them, you've got mum guilt. But for me, it was, it, it was that, that, that mum guilt was always going to be there. And I'll always say that I should have been there to protect her. I know I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't see inside my stomach. I couldn't tell you what had happened. I feel like somewhere professionally someone went wrong. But I couldn't do anything to protect that. I didn't know anything. But I can't overcome that. But what we did do, me and my husband had therapy and we're still having therapy. Um, the therapy comes from the hospital, from the bereavement midwife. And we did it together. And I think it is the best thing that we've ever done. Because without that, we were never able to understand what each other saw throughout that time. For me, it was all emotional in a sense of, you know, I remember every single little thing exactly. For my husband, it was all physical because he dressed her, he held her, he cut her cord. So all he physically sees is her. I didn't see her. So he doesn't remember anything from that whole weekend, from that Friday I found out to the Tuesday I gave birth. Everything is is come merging into one. Whereas for me, I remember every single little detail because I didn't physically feel her or touch her. And again, my mum guilt, I never held my baby. And it, you know, it, it is just one of those things. And, and we did the ashes and then we went for dinner at the marina. Like there was this, this um, restaurant on top of the marina. And we did it there because we were like, we've just done the ashes, it's nice, we can see the water still. And we walked in and there was a 60th birthday party going on there. And there was loud music and, and we were like, what the hell? Like, this is not what we want. But actually, for me and for us, it was kind of saying, like, celebrate her. Celebrate her, smile for her. You know, that music that was on was, you know, there for a reason. And I remember, like, my mum and my mother-in-law singing away and everyone was just smiling. And, and I looked down the table and I was like, actually, yeah, th th this is what, what it is. This is us celebrating her. And this is God telling us, celebrate her and um i also she was actually due the week of christmas that was her due date so as it was november i don't know why i did this as well i made baubles with her name inside the bauble and her actual due date and a little star and i gave them out to everyone that was there and that for me was a piece of us saying that you know like you give barfi don't you when you have a baby that was my thing of, you know, that's her. Um, yeah. And, and we did that. So that's so, okay. That was towards the end of last year and we're yeah. coming, we're coming towards the end of this year now, 2022. And, you know, I, I just saw you a little earlier with a baby in your arms, you know, and <laughs> which is a beautiful thing to see, especially since, you know, knowing the ins and outs of your story. Um, mm. And, and that, and, and so, you know, would you have thought, okay, I'm going to have a baby in my arms, be looking after a baby, doing all this, night feeds, whatever, um, 
a year later, here you are. No, because the thing is, is that no one like when you when you go through this, they do tell you that it can impact your relationship. It can impact you physically trying. We weren't trying. <laughs> we weren't trying, and it just it happened. I found out in January, literally five minutes before my our first therapy call. And I told the therapist, and um, she was like, how are you feeling? And I was like, I don't know. Um, and I told Grandpa when he got home, he was shocked, obviously. I was shocked. Um, and three years on, I've just gone and had a baby in September 2022. So I lost a baby in September 2020. I had a miscarriage, sorry, early miscarriage, September 2020. A stillbirth in September 2021. And I gave birth to a baby in September 2022. And that, you know, for us is a really big thing. Leah was born on the 3rd of April. I had three pregnancies. This one was born 3rd of September. And she's my third daughter. And, you know, throughout, throughout this pregnancy, it was intense intense um were, were you know you just were you anxious the whole way through no I wasn't anxious the whole way through because literally as soon as I got pregnant I had professionals jump on me I still had gestational diabetes because once you have it once in pregnancy you always have it so I was ready for that I had consultants and all those things I think that only the beginning part of it was quite anxious because when I used to come out of the bathroom my husband would look at me and I'd look at him and I'd be like, no, everything's all right. Again, we're coming back to that early miscarriage stage, the bleeding stage. Um, the baby movements is their movement. And now this time it was make sure you're feeling kicks, not full movement. That was something that I had to learn. Recently, before I gave birth, um, a couple of weeks, about a month ago, I had a stomach bug. Um, you know, there was a stomach virus going around and I had that. And with gestational diabetes, not eating enough, your energy is very, very, very low. And it was so hot as well. Um, I was like a whale out of water. I could not deal with being outside. Um, so that was really difficult. And I remember my husband saying, have you felt any movement? And I'm like, yeah, like I'm trying to feel them as well as, you know, having no energy and, and having the stomach bug. And he was, and he, I was like, you know, I can, I can feel the movements. He's like, are you sure? You're feeling kicks and not full movements. And it was just that, re, re, like, making sure that we were aware of it. Um, we had a lot more scans. The triggering thing for us was every time we went for a scan, we look up and all, all I saw was a baby laying there. All I saw was my daughter. I didn't see this baby. And for us, it was bonding with that baby that we just didn't have. We didn't have that bond at all. Um, we didn't talk to the baby. Whereas they are had a full bond with the baby. Whereas with my last pregnancy, she did not have a bond with the baby at all, at all. And the weirdest thing was they say that children know, they know something. And with my last pregnancy, she absolutely did not have a relationship with me. She would hit out, she would kick her, her behavior was awful. And when we actually, told everyone about our pregnancy last time we made a video and the video was like you know like the milestones of like having they are her first birthday second birthday and I was finding out and we used the song Ed Sheeran's small bump and um 
it's such a beautiful song and we were like oh this is ideal you know to only find out that after we had the baby and we were going through the process of doing the funeral I met with a girl that um in my area because I started a baby loss group and she was like sorry what song did you use I said oh Ed Sheeran small bump she said you do know that that song Ed Sheeran wrote for his friend who had a stillbirth and I was like what and she was like yeah I was like, no, you're lying. And I literally got goosebumps. I Googled it and it says on there that Ed Sheeran wrote it for his friend who had a stillbirth. And the song is about stillbirth. I didn't know that. I got goosebumps just now when you told me that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. And I used that song to announce our pregnancy with her. You couldn't have known though, you know. No, no, of course not. But it felt like everything leading up to her was meant to happen in the stupidest way possible and I remember Daya's behavior that song and also when we went to name her we had a name and every time my husband kept calling her that name I was like oh my god I don't like it and on the night no sorry on the 7th of September which was the day that I had to get my blood test results um I messaged my husband and said, I found this name. What do you think? Now, I don't mention her name um, just because, you know, everyone could have a name and, and it could be triggering for other people. And I just, we don't mention her name. But the name that we, we picked, I said it to my husband. He was like, I love it. And I was like, perfect. And it meant earth. And, um, and we put her back into the earth. And it kind of just all related for us, all related for us. And this time, um, I found out I was pregnant in January we didn't tell they are because you know you know what four-year-olds are like she'll tell she'll tell people my bank bank account details if she could um we didn't tell anyone till March till we had the scan to clarify and um the nursery we told the nursery we're pregnant again you know we're gonna have a baby baby's due September 2022 and um this is in March and they were like mum we already knew how I didn't know they were like, we found out in January. They has been telling us that you're pregnant. No, she couldn't have because we just told her yesterday we was showing her the scan picture. But she knew I was pregnant already in January. She felt that. That is so, it's so bizarre. Like, how did it she is. know that? And it's even to this day that when I see the nursery workers, they're like, your daughter told us in January. We were just waiting for you to tell us. And it took you three months to tell us. I said, yeah, because I was waiting for the scan, obviously. Yeah, and then even even to this day, she knew that we were having a girl last time. This time we didn't want to know because all we cared about was the baby being healthy, obviously. So we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl. She was adamant we were having a girl, and she we were like, "What are you going to name the baby?" And she was like, "Flower Rainbow," and obviously this is our rainbow baby. Yeah. So for her to to call it Rainbow without us even saying anything to her was amazing. Um, she talks to her about our daughter. She told her a story about her the other day because um, we've got this star that lights up and it's got her name on it. And she put it on and she said, "Look, baby, look, this is this is um, our sister's star." And you know, um, but her bond with her is incredible. It's amazing, but she still brings our daughter into this household, and we're absolutely fine with that. And with like you know having this this little one. Um, the anxiety was there 
coming towards the end of the pregnancy, the the triggers of I remember walking in and had a I had um a midwife appointment and the antenatal clinic was next door to the birthing center and um I had to go to the birthing center because they were doing some work at the antenatal clinic. And I walked in and the midwife said, Come come into this room, Jess, and we'll check you out. And I said, Okay, and I walked in and this room was set up for labour. It had a water bath, it had um a a bed and it had that cot that cot without the plug and I walked in and I looked and there was like a flapping door and all I heard was a newborn cry and I burst into tears and right then nearly a year on I realized that I did not hear my baby cry when I gave birth to her a year on even through therapy I'd never even thought about that and the midwife was like are you okay? And I said, yeah. And she's like, what is, what is triggering you? And I said, that cry. I didn't hear my baby cry. And she was like, right, okay. And we spoke about it. And, and to think that I didn't even process that when I had her. But a year on, that was the biggest, biggest trigger for me. Um, I... I just want to say thank you like for coming on and, and sharing your story and I know it's been difficult to talk about it because and mm-hmm. you know I've I've like been choked up during you telling me this because like I'm a mum myself you know and mm-hmm. I've been through it and I know like you know I can just imagine like how that would actually feel and the whole you know mum guilt and keeping you know I, I don't know it's it is heartbreaking to hear about it you know mm-hmm. and you've obviously been through it and I know it's you know still quite raw as well but um, I just want to say thank you and we're kind of uh, just coming to the end of this episode yeah. now and before I let you go I, I just wanted to uh, like for other people who are going through this or if they know someone how, what, what do you advise in terms of getting help where can they get help from and and that kind of healing process how to start that I think everyone's grieving journey is different and like I said I went into mode of I have to do this I have to do that I had I had a three-year-old at home at that point I think if if I went through this being my first child I would have fallen and I would have broken and I know that in my heart I would have literally stayed in bed and not had nothing to do but my journey only was able to carry on because of the therapy that we had. I was able to journal. I started to talk about about our story and I did it straight away, literally um, on my group on Facebook because I've got a mum's group on Facebook. I spoke about that journey straight away. And for me and my husband to understand each other, because we, I don't think we would have been able to have a rainbow baby if we didn't understand the process of what we both went through in that journey of our loss. Because if you, if if we couldn't communicate, then it was going to be bloody hard to do it during this pregnancy. So for us, therapy was a big thing, and I think, I think, and I would advise this to anyone: please don't forget the other people that go through this process. Mom goes through it, yes, but dads also go through it and the kids go through it. They went through a heartbreak of grieving in, in January. We had to get her a sibling box from Naya's Wish, which is a charity. Um, and they do amazing, amazing um, boxes for siblings where it helps them to heal from their siblings 
um, baby loss. Um, so we use them. We use Sam's charity, obviously, and Tommy's charity, and there's Petals also as well. But I would say find time for yourself. Definitely find time for yourself. And grieve. Grieving doesn't just happen that day, that week, the day you give birth, the time you find out you've had a loss. Grieving happens every single day of your life. And if you feel that, let it come out. Because the more you keep that in, the more it's going to be difficult for you to move forward. And that that is a really, really big thing. And I will I will keep my daughter's name alive. And I will always say that I've got three children. Because, yes, she's not physically here, but I brought her into this world. But she was just too silent for this world. And she was too good for this world. So, you know... I am a mum of two angels, but I'm also a mum of three beautiful girls. And I think that if anyone ever, ever needs to to have a chat or even just to lay it out, go for it. Make yourself time. Find that. And please, 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 for other people as well, be careful of the language you use around people that have had baby loss because I think that they are big, big triggers. I had someone say to me, don't worry, you'll have another baby again. And I looked down, and this was the weekend before I gave birth. These things, by saying to someone, don't worry, you'll have another baby, a new baby does not replace your baby you've lost, and it will never replace that loss of a baby. So language is really important. Give them time, and even if it means that you message them just to check in, have a cup of tea, or even drop food outside their house, that is the biggest way that you can support people. Um, and my DMs and my, my inf- I'm more than happy to give you my information, is always open if anyone would like to talk or even just, you know, talk about their story or, or have that time and space, safe space. Um, what, what is your social media handle in case people do want to get in touch? So I have an Instagram um, based around the baby loss stuff that I do and it's a star. 28 so it's a underscore star underscore 28 because we always have to have that star in there because our our biggest shining star in our family is our baby girl um so yeah so um i'm more than happy for anyone to drop into the dms and and have a safe space to chat Thank you so much. Um, and thank you for listening. I know it hasn't been a, a easy listen, but, you know, um, I thought it was really important to talk about this during Baby Loss Awareness Week because, mm. you know, it's, it's we are women. We should hear each other's stories and be able to share things that we have gone through. So I think it's really important. Um, so please do subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. Please do share it. And you can follow me also at Sisterhood of Mommy Imperfect on social media or at Renetti Annabelle. Until next time, bye. Thank you. Bye.